This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. A report by the National Association for Business Economics says that seven out of 10 economists believe there will be a recession by the end of 2021. So that would mean challenging times again ahead for many citizens. Of course, the last time there was a recession, many people lost significant value in their retirement plan. So if there is a recession coming, can you recession-proof your retirement account? Olivia Mitchell is executive director of the Pension Research Council, as well as professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. She's also a professor of insurance and risk management and an expert in this area and a great resource for us here on Wharton Business Daily. Great to see you. Happy New Year. A pleasure to be here. Same to you. So, I, I mean, obviously, I think this story, this idea is going to catch a lot of people's attention, especially with what happened a decade ago. So if these economists are correct and they're looking at towards the end of 2021, the time is probably now to start to think about some of these things. Absolutely right. I was at the American Economic Meetings in San Diego, and uh, the headline was, Economists are gloomy, notwithstanding everything else that makes people happy, um, like low interest rates and so forth. But I think there are some things that need to be done now. Um, which are probably prudent anyway, with or without a recession. And the first thing I would advise, given that it's January, beginning of the year, starting to think about getting your tax material together, um, is to try to put together a fairly uh, summary budget. Try to figure out where your money has been going over the last year. So if you use credit cards, a lot of times the credit cards will bracket into different categories where your money has gone. Um, Cash is obviously harder to follow. But you have big ideas about, you know, where your rent or your mortgage went, car payments, things like that, education costs if you have kids in school. Um, And so try to write down on a average monthly basis and then aggregate over the year about how much you're spending. And don't forget to include taxes and insurance and so on. And that will give you an idea of your current trajectory. You'd be surprised how few people do do a budget. I I would wonder then, how far do you take that, that out? Because obviously with some of those elements, paying the mortgage on your house or paying rent, your car payment and stuff, those are our fairly static costs that you're going to have to deal with month over month. But with some of the other elements, there are probably ways that you can be able to look at that cost and see if there are ways that you can save a little bit, cut cost, uh, you know, your cable, your internet, you know, a variety of different elements. How much do you look at, go down the line and look at some of those smaller elements as well? Well, so having done the budget, you can then get a better sense of where the bucks are going. And cable is probably not a bad place to start looking. Yeah. Maybe you still have a landline like many older people do. I'm what, sorry. What, what's a landline? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you can turn that off. Maybe you can decide to buy fewer channels. If yeah. In fact, I never watch TV at all except for the debates. So I'd be a great candidate for cutting that. Unfortunately, my husband likes sports. But after the budget, I think step number two is to make sure you have an emergency fund. Yeah. And people usually say six months worth of income. Yeah. That's not going to save your life if you lose your job and we have huge unemployment. But it will give you some options and opportunities to make the adjustments. So step two is to get the emergency so, so how many people, and obviously going back a decade, that was was a lot harder for a lot of people to be able to have that six month that that six month reserve. How much do you think that that 
we as a, a society, as a country, have been able to address that in the last decade? Well, one of the reasons people 10 years ago got into trouble is they lost their jobs and they had no reserve. And the third factor was they had very expensive mortgages. Yeah. So that's why there were so many foreclosures. People lost their homes. You know, they really had no way to pay their bills. So that leads me to my third point, which is to try to review whether there are any expenses you can pay down to reduce your debt. So one thing you might be able to do is pay down your mortgage an extra $100 a month. Um, That will end up putting you in better position and paying less interest over the life of the mortgage. Definitely pay down your credit cards. A lot of Americans pay the minimum only, and they don't realize this is mounting up the debt and expensive debt, getting them into more and more trouble. It's interesting, even though the interest rates are low now across the country, bank lending rates and borrowing rates and so forth, credit card rates are some of the highest they've ever been. And so that's a clear way to try to start saving money. Um, You can also try to cut back on uh, big, durable purchases. So if your car is, you know, eight years old, try to make it go (laughs) 10 years old. That's my motto. Um, If you can delay doing major improvements on your home, even if you've wanted a new kitchen, if you can make it do for another couple of years, yeah. that could put you in a better position. Unlike when you have the water tank go, then you have then you have to make that purchase. But again, those are things that you have to kind of plan for as a homeowner that, that could occur at, at any point in time. Right. And so part of your budgets should not just focus on what you actually spent last year, but some of the reserves that you need. Your roof will probably need replaced every 20 years or so. Your yeah. furnace, I don't know, depending, you know, every 15 years or so. And so those are things that you should be setting aside into accounts, not just mental accounts, but real savings accounts so that you can cover the needs when they arrive. So since we had what we had a decade ago, and, and now, obviously, the conversation is, is cropping up again. Is there more of a focus now on when that potential next recession could occur and looking back at the retirement savings numbers and, and kind of thinking out a process to make sure that you are covered in, in general, at least for like a six to 12 month period? I wish I could say that I thought that Americans were doing a better job planning for many eventualities, including a recession, retirement, you name it. I don't see a lot of evidence. I do see that um, especially older Americans have ended up taking out more debt and incurring and keeping that debt into older and older ages. So, for example, a decade ago, two decades ago, it was normal for people to say, I will pay off my mortgage before I retire. Right. Um, nowadays, very few older people do. And so that means they're going into retirement on more or less a fixed income with this heavy mortgage burden, which, by the way, could grow if interest rates do start rising again. So I think older people are particularly vulnerable to changes in economic circumstances in ways they weren't necessarily two decades ago. There is also the idea uh, that is talked about a lot, and I know it's it's dissuaded by a, a lot of experts, that when you get into that issue, and if you don't have that that emergency fund, to look towards your retirement savings as a way to kind of give you that boost that you need. I would imagine you're very much against that. 
I believe that retirement savings should be held sacrosanct for retirement, unless for some very unfortunate reason you receive notice from the doctor that you have six months left to live and you won't have a retirement. But most of us expect to live some portion of our our lives without working. And the danger of either taking the money out of your retirement account or borrowing from it is that you're foregoing the investment earnings you could have made on those retirement assets. Right. So you're really robbing your future self in order to cover your present self. The other thing we know is that 90% of the people that borrow from their 401ks and lose their jobs end up paying a big penalty and a big income tax on top of it. So it's not that simple and it's not that wise to take money out of your retirement account. Another point I would note is that typically the money in your retirement account is not subject to being, um, not subject to lien in the event of a bankruptcy. Sure. Yeah. So you can protect more money if you do, heaven forbid, have to go into bankruptcy. We're joined by Olivia Mitchell from here at the Wharton School. We're talking about uh, 401k retirement savings and whether or not you can recession proof uh, your 401k, your retirement savings account. I, I think it's an important topic. And, and when when you look at a variety of the elements that are at play here, you mentioned about the short term uh, with the cash out and trying to avoid that as much as you possibly can. When you're looking at these types of, uh, of issues in general, you have to have kind of a balanced approach uh, of what you're trying to do in terms of setting up that, that emergency fund, setting up that protection for that 401k if we go into recession. Absolutely right. And so then the question is, you know, if you have a retirement account, how should you be investing it? If you really think there's going to be a big downturn, then maybe you should start uh, reducing the portion of those assets held in equity and put them into something a little bit safer, like, for example, government bonds. Now, nothing is tremendously safe in this day and age. Um, I have the misfortune to have been pretty much invested in inflation index bonds for the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't lost a lot of money, but I certainly haven't made much. Yeah. But now with some work, you can go online and you can find banks that will pay you 2% or more on simple savings accounts. So what I would say Which is... Which is amazing in this day and age, because I thought they had gone away for the most part. That's certainly not the case that my local bank is yeah. pro- providing me anything like that. So with some effort, I think you can do a little bit better. But again, let's keep in mind that markets are not projected to be robust by many economists for the next 30 or 40 years. So every little bit helps. You had a book that came out earlier this year that looked at the impact of fintech on retirement savings. Give us a, a little bit of information on that. Absolutely. So our uh, research of on fintech and retirement savings established two basic facts. First, that a lot of robo-advisors are helping people save money and even allocate their assets across uh, different kinds of holdings. So on the accumulation side, things look pretty good. The second point is that very few of these robo-advisors do a good job on the decumulation side. And that's probably because it's so complicated. When you get to retirement, for example, when should you claim your Social Security benefits? That's not an easy question. I say delay as long as possible because that boosts your eventual benefits. But it depends on your health, your partner, many other things. Um, Do you have a house? Do you still have a defined benefit plan? All those considerations make the robo-advice picture very, very difficult, and I suspect will continue a role for human face-to-face advice. 
we've talked with you in the past on this channel about the thought process of people about retirement savings in general. And that coming, as soon as you get that first job, start thinking about that retirement savings account. And I guess there, there's, from some of the reporting, that the mindset is a little bit better now these days about the younger generation thinking about retirement savings because, in part, they saw what happened in many cases to their parents just a decade ago. It's absolutely true that the millennials and the generations after them um, went through a very cold water bath, right, seeing their parents suffer during the, the Great Recession. However, also within those groups, I hear the mantra of FIRE, financially independent, retire early. Uh, theme. And so people are talking, my own children are talking about trying to retire in their 50s or even late 40s, um, work real hard until then, and then then maybe go off to a teepee somewhere. (laughs) Um, I think that's pretty unlikely. Part of the issue is we're living longer and longer. And so you can't really expect to live for 50 years on what you've earned in 25 years. It's just very unreasonable. And and that's a unique dynamic that I don't think is talked about enough is the, the life expectancy and how it has changed over the last couple of decades with the expectation of living longer. But in some cases, and part of this was tied back to what happened during the recession, people working longer. Yes. Than they than they have, and now with the Secure Act, with the changes in terms of the designation of taking funds, no longer at seventy and a half, but at seventy two, that throws a, a, an impact on this as well. I'm delighted that the uh, Congress has moved to boost the age at which you need to start taking retirement benefits from your plans. It's a start. It only went from 70 and a half to 72. But I think we need an overall overhaul of how we look at age within our legal and regulatory structure. The notion that you're old at 62 when you can take your Social Security benefits is really not apt anymore, given that people have a life expectancy, not only a life expectancy, but a longevity probability of over 100 in many cases. So do you think that might be one of the next areas that's focused on is that that age of taking retirement benefits, taking the Social Security? Will that be pushed back out, uh, especially especially potentially with the concern of, of what may be coming down the road in what, 2034, 2036? Well, I've been listening very carefully to the debates uh, for presidential candidates, and they've said precious little about what they're going to do to fix Social Security. I've heard a number of folks talk about increasing the benefits, but how they're going to pay for it is as yet unknown. One of the likely methods will be to to reform the system will be to increase the early retirement age, which won't be a panacea because the number of people are just barely hanging on, and then they'll go and apply for disability insurance. So it's not like it's going to save a lot of money overall, but just it's also a signal of where we think um, old age sets in. And I think it's more like 75 or 80. And I'm sure a number of your listeners will even think it's older than that, too. All right. So going back to retirement savings, then the focus that a lot of people should think about and how much of this should be talking with the investment advisor about Life ex- about all of these issues, life expectancy, the mixture of, of what you want to have in your particular retirement fund, all, all of these different elements, what you want to have for you know your retirement plan, where you want to live, how much you potentially want to leave for your for your children or your grandchildren. All of these elements probably come into play. 
Absolutely. And this is why it's such a complex picture. Another factor you haven't really dwelled on is the potential rising costs of health care. Sure. Yeah. And that, yeah. I think, is one of the biggest unknowns. In other words, you can project perhaps your rent, your costs for autos, your costs for vacation, if you have enough money to take them, right. how much money you want to give your grandchildren, if you like them. Um, but the health care unknown is absolutely frightening. And this is one of the reasons I'm not retiring anytime early. Well, and that's something, that's a dynamic that literally can change on a week-by-week basis. And so that unknown has to be an extreme extremely tough demographic element for people to have to deal with. Well, not only do you not know what your own health will be over the period between, say, 75 and 125 or whenever you leave this earth. Is that that what you're going for? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Okay. Um, But you also don't know, given the current political scenario, what the medical system will be like over the next 25, 35 years. And so it makes it very, very... Um, unclear as to how much you actually need to save to cover out-of-pocket costs, costs that are not covered by your medical insurer, and treatments that don't even exist today. We talked about this more thinking about long-term, but what about thinking about short-term when, you know, if something is is about to occur, recession, whatever it might be, and Somebody maybe has not thought about it as much as they should have. How much can they make an impact, at least in the short term? The place to begin is with knowledge about your current expenditures and where, if push comes to shove, you can start to cut some corners and save some money. Um, you know, if you must have um, Netflix, okay, that's one option. Maybe you can cut your cable. If you have to have um a mobile phone, and everybody pretty much does now. Yeah. Maybe you can have a savings if you look around for different uh, carriers' uh, pricing. Look at that package that you get from uh, from Verizon or Comcast. Who ne- who needs a landline phone right. anymore? You don't need to have that anymore. Great having you with us, Olivia. Thank you very much for your insight. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Olivia Mitchell from here at the Wharton School Executive Director of the Pension Research Council, as well as Professor of Business Economics and Public Policy. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.